my uh, brother-in-law, Jay, we, we might not always agree on everything and like the same things. I like the farm. He doesn't care as much for the farm. And I like a particular sports team that he may not care as much for. But, uh, but anyhow, I tell you what, we were really on the same page uh, tonight because we hadn't talked or anything, but all the songs he was singing, I was really encouraged by, the, uh, by those I was thinking about uh, uh, preaching. I think about uh, how many sermons have come over this pulpit. Over all the years we've, we've been here, some of us that were here day one and then everybody that's come in since, it's been a lot of words, it's been a lot of scripture. And um, I can remember kind of my routine, I would go to the back before Dad would preach, and I'd go in his office, and he would give me an outline of, he would kind of write up an outline, make copies of it, and, and I'd ask him, is it going to be a, is this a barn burner, or is this a sugar stick? And he'd say, because you know what a sugar stick is. Sugar stick's something easy to receive, and everybody likes it. Can't really grow on it, but might make your belly hurt a little, but, uh, but anyhow, a sugar stick is a sermon that is, is very easy. Um, it doesn't challenge you. And a barn burner maybe is the opposite. But I can remember sometimes he'd say, oh, this is a, this is a barn burner or this is a sugar stick. But, you know, there was other times that he would say, boy, I have no idea because I don't have a sermon. But he was getting ready to preach. And he'd say, at 4 o'clock today, it just all fell apart, and I'm just trusting the Lord. And see, I would come out here, and I would listen to that sermon, and knowing the background of it, I would be amazed at that, because some of the best sermons I ever heard him preach were sermons that he told me before that he had, it had all fallen apart, and he was just trusting the Lord. And so it's a reminder, it's a good testimony of that man has to decrease and God has to increase. And the more man can take himself and his opinions and his, his ideas out of the pulpit, the more God can speak to his people. And I'm believing tonight that as I share just a, a group of scriptures that have meant a lot to me over the last few months, that I believe God has... has allowed me to see in a different light than I ever did before. I just want to share scripture because I tell you, the Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And it says, scripture is exactly what we need for almost every situation of our life. And I just want to stand up here tonight and, and open the word and allow God to speak to us. Um, and let God be true in every man, myself, Pastor John, every man that's come before us, every man after us, let man just not be true. And let God be true. And stick to his word and do that. Amen? Amen. Well, I want you to open your Bibles tonight to Luke 23. I think about... How that we had a lot of testimonies over the years in this building, and we had some tonight, 
But I also think about that we all have a particular testimony, all that have been born again. They have a testimony that is very similar that we have every day of our life, and that is, in Isaiah it says, all we like sheep had gone astray. We had turned everyone to his own way. But God was merciful. And that's something that I think is easy at times to forget. Tonight I want us to go back and read the account of when Jesus died on the cross. I want us to read it, and I want us to let Scripture speak to us. In Luke 23, verse 32, it says, And there were also two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to a place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals on one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments, and they cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And the inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing that you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. Then the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Tonight I want to speak a very simple message from Scripture, and I don't intend to keep this long, but I want us to, I want to title it, Remembering Calvary. Remembering Calvary, because we all know, as we go through different phases of our life and in part of our human nature, is to forget things. And we begin to, the, the details of things that meant so much to us can, after years, they can become a little bit hazy. They can become to where we remember it, yeah, 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 I remember that. But do we really remember it? And whenever we think about Calvary, I don't want to actually um, tonight break down into the details of what that was like, where the road was, where the mountain, all the research that we can do to study those things. I want us to look tonight about mine and your Calvary moment, the moment when we first saw Calvary. We first saw what Jesus had done on the cross. Because I think we can pass through this life as Christians, and I think we can get years behind us, and a lot of experiences, and a lot of knowledge, and we can act upon our convictions, and we can draw a lot of boundaries in our lives that are good and pleasing to the Lord, 
But if we're not careful, we can forget from where we came, and that is at the cross. And I want to go through Scripture. I want us to look at why this is so important. And I can't think of another Scripture that would be more important, but it's also the most used, but it's the most profound. Because when you return back to where we came, a lot of times it's very simple, yet it's very important. I want to read to you, and our children who've been going to Bible class there, they will quickly know this scripture. But think about how profound this scripture is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. There's probably five sermons in one scripture. But I want us to think about that God so loved us. He so loved us. Can we forget that? Can we forget our beginning? Because if you read this, when I read it, I think about God so loved the world. Well, the world is talking about people because he soon says, whoever believes. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, he would not perish but he would have everlasting life. Those words, we hear those, they run right over our head. When a preacher starts preaching, immediately when you, five minutes in, you have heard this before, you check out. Because I've done it. I grew up, this was my routine. I could hear this scripture. God's the word, gave the one of God's who are believing not fair and have everlasting life. But what does it mean to you tonight? What does it still mean after all these years? Because I'm going to tell you, if I could, that as a young man, I was bound. I was bound because my eyes had never seen the cross. I had never seen what Jesus had done for me. I had never seen his love for me. I knew how to act right. I knew how to say right things. I could even mouth words that sounded like I was filled with the Holy Spirit because as a child I had prayed that prayer but I'm going to tell you in my heart it was dark I did not know the love of God there was not a change because see you can't know God's love repent and be converted and stay the same you can't do that because as sin has separated us from God, repentance allows for His presence to be back with us. And when we get up and act and move about our daily life, we're not the same because our hearts changed. Our mind, our mind had been trained by an evil heart. Our mind still has to be renewed. But suddenly there's something different. Suddenly there's an inner motivation. You want to do right. You want to pray. You want to read the Word. You want to make things right with people. You love God, and you love each other. And only God's Spirit can do that. And when we think about going back to God so loved, I want to tell you what He saved us from. 
He saved us from perishing. I want us to look at two scriptures. If you would turn to Ephesians 2, because it's important to remember these things. Ephesians chapter 2, and I also want you to turn, I want to read it from two places at the same time, so keep your finger there, in Revelations 20. In Ephesians 2, in verse 1, he said, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is me and you and everybody here. We're going to witness to these scriptures that we've been born again. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as others. And if you keep your finger there and turn over to Revelations, verse 20, I'm sorry, chapter 20, verse 11 says, And then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from the face of the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Folks, that is what it means to perish. And that's what every single person born with a sinful nature, that's where they're headed. It doesn't matter if you're a preacher's son. It doesn't matter if you're a drug addict. It doesn't matter who you are. You're headed to perishing. And when I think of John 3.16, he said he sent his son so that whoever believes would not have to perish. And that's what he did at that Calvary moment for us. He made a way for us not to have to perish. Because when it says, but have everlasting life, do we even understand that? Do we even grasp that? I don't. I can try to. But I want us to read back to Ephesians chapter 2 when it talks about how we once were. Think of yourself. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And turn back to Revelations, because right down past that, in chapter 21 it says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. And if we turn right over to 22 in verse 5, it says, There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light. And they shall reign forever and ever. Folks, if we can sit here as a church family and hear these things, and they just go right over our head, and we just try to work our way through life, not realizing that Jesus came to set us free and to give us eternal life. And he is going to give us eternal life. He's going to finish what he started. Because we talk about going on a trip and trying to do different, or a mission trip or trying to do things in the church that will make a difference. When a church member like myself can sit here week in and week out, patting the cake during church song service, hearing words about eternal life and saying, I've heard that before. When we can do that, we have forgotten Calvary. We can't do this. Because, let me tell you why. When we look at, when we look at what he has done, what he did on the cross, so that I could have eternal life, all the things that we do are a result of what he did on Calvary. Because if we could go somewhere, if tonight we could all go to wherever the book of life is, where it is kept, and we could gather around and somehow know, look right there. There's Tom Skaggs' name. There's Terry Murphy. And look here, I found Lane. Our names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. We have eternal life. We're going to make it. And whenever, if we could do that, would that make a change in us? Would that make us live different every day? Would we think, hey, I've seen it. I have eternal life. My name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. He's going to finish what he started. He said in his word, I know those that are mine, and no man will pluck them out of my hand. He said back in the Old Testament, he said about Israel, he said, you are ingrained on the palm of my hand. Sooner could a nursing mother forget her child. The words I just said apply to Shelbyville Christian Assembly. They apply to each one of us that's sitting here tonight because just because we don't see the Lamb's Book of Life doesn't mean that we're not written in there. We're written in there tonight. Your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Anything else that tells us, oh, we're probably not going to make it, is a lie of the devil. And if we're listening to it, it won't take long, and we, we're, all our joy is gone. And our excitement about being one of his is gone. We have been bought with a price, and all of that is because of Calvary. I don't know how to say it enough except to say you and me, we have been saved. We have been saved from perishing. That, is, that, to me, is the greatest testimony that we will ever have, obviously. But the problem with it is we can hear that and we can forget it. And don't you think it doesn't make a difference in the way we live our life? Don't you think it doesn't make a difference in the way we come in these doors and how we look to what we're hearing and we 
and how we praise the Lord. It changes us. Do you remember? I want everybody to think about their own Calvary moment. Not that we see Calvary, obviously, with our natural eyes. But I want you to think back. Maybe it was a long, long time ago. But could we all go back to the time that the eyes of our understanding were enlightened? That we understood. That we saw ourselves for who we were. And that was separated from God. Sinful. And we saw the plan that God put into place that we should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you remember that day that you were born again? And I know that there's a lot of times there were children that were born again early on. And I know sometimes it was a a fairly quiet experience. I know some of y'all might have ran down the aisle screaming and hollering. I don't know. But there's a a big big, uh, variance in how that event happened. But we have to be able to remember. We have to be able to remember the change in our life. We have to remember that. Because we had lived all of our life to this point, unable to help ourselves. We had nothing to look forward to except perishing. Nothing. And because God, who is rich in mercy, he opened up our understanding. There is no salvation outside of God drawing a man. And there's no salvation outside of repentance. This is not about a feeling. This is about man standing before God, guilty, and accepting that Jesus died on the cross in his place and believing that God drew him and God's spirit coming upon that man or woman. And let me tell you, just in the fact that we can't be the same Remember how it was different. Remember when you first get up off your knees and you say, you just want to, you want to, to praise. You want to, maybe for the first time in your life, you want to shut your eyes and really thank God when there's a, a song in the church or, or you want to read Scripture. Y'all remember? Y'all remember when you were first born again? You remember when you wanted to read, you wanted to pray? What is the first thing you do when you see somebody else? You love that person. When you come to church and if there's somebody that you have a little bit of an issue with or whatever, there's something in you that's different. There's something in your heart that says, oh, it wasn't that big a deal. And you love that person because that is God's love. That's God's presence. That's real. That's not some idea that we hear. It's real. It's a real change in a man's life. And I know we have our minds to renew, but there is something different in a man's heart that God has delivered, that God has saved, that God has placed His Spirit. Who do we think we are that we could just stay the same as humans? We're not. We have this change in our heart. We don't want to sin. We suddenly don't want to. And when the doors are open, we want to be here. Now, we might come in, in 
flip-flops and shorts and, and drink a beer in the parking lot before you come in the door because those things will come later. But there's something in you that says, man, I need this. I want this. There's a change. The question I think that I've got to ask myself is why do I lose that? Why is it that if that's the way that God designed for me to live as a born-again Christian, why is it that I change over time? Could it be that I don't remember? Could it be that I've forgotten Calvary? Because if we died right after we were born again, obviously, we'd all go to heaven and everything would be great, but we have a life to live. And I want you to turn to Galatians 2. And I want you to think about how it was early on. Church, I've heard enough people talk about the good old days. I hear them talk about the old paths. Let's get back to where it was. Church, the old ways and the good old days were not a place or a time. They were a condition of the heart. Because when that heart when you get up off your knees, God has changed your heart. And when you get among like-changed brethren, you begin to have an experience where everybody lets the love of God flow through them to God and to each other. And those relationships all come back to Calvary. They come back to the cross. I guarantee you, if there was a way to take a hundred people tonight that were born again yesterday and put them in a room, they would love God and love each other because His presence is on them and it's fresh and it's new and they haven't forgotten it. The good old days are a condition of the heart. Therefore, the good old days can return because God is merciful and He can change our hearts if we need that. Because I want to tell you, I was a bound man as a young man. And at 21, I realized that I was lost. And I can remember that. I can remember the change. But I have to confess to you all as my church family that I was bound again when I forgot what he had done for me. Because I went through this life as we went and begin to say the rights and the wrongs and what we do that somebody else doesn't do and what we do that's better than this. And before long, that is my Christianity. When everything that I have that's right and good started and comes and returns and will forever will be from the cross at Calvary where Jesus died for my sins. He is our righteousness. But we can forget it. We can forget this. Turn to uh, Galatians 2. Because as we get up off of our knees and we begin to live, in verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me, and He gave Himself for me. To love God and to love each other when we hear that message, 
I don't know about you, but I spent a lot of my life listening to that saying, that's a sugar stick. That's an easy one. That's what maybe the churches that don't want to offend the big givers, maybe that's what they preach. But as I stand here tonight, I want to tell you that's one of the hardest messages to live. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. But God gave us the start and the ability, and he showed us how to do that. We all have that in our hearts. We all have that, the simplicity of it. God's love, how he first loved us so that we can love others. His love to us so that we could, it could go through us to others. Folks, that is some of the basics of Christianity. I'd forgotten it. I let that go, and I realized I was bound. Because I want to tell you, the simplicity of waking up every morning and saying, God, I am happy and thankful to be one of yours, and sit down with his word and say, God, I, I love you, I love what you've done, and I want you to open your word to me. And then to go out and feel the same way towards people is an experience that's liberating. It has set me free. I have never been more excited spiritually than I am right here tonight. And it has not come from some kind of a long-term thing. It was a revelation of God's love. Because God so loved me that he gave his son so I'm not going to perish. And he is going to keep me in the palm of his hand. He said he will finish the work that he started. And all I have to do in this life is to love him and love his word and love his commandments and do them. And love fellow man. Love you. Love the people outside these doors. Love the lost. Love every one of us. It's not just for the lost. In Luke 6, 32, it says, If you love those who love you, you haven't done anything. Even the sinner loves those who love them. So when we think about, have we lost this somehow? We would have to say, do we truly love each other, our neighbor? Or do we just love the little group that loves us? Because I can tell you that if one of your children was to do something or one of your children was to run away, do you think you would say, well, they had their issues. Well, I'm not going to talk to them. Well, they just need more word. You would go to that child and say, help me understand. I love you as a, as, a, as a father. How much more, if that's our human love, how much more God loves us and his love within us to each other. When one of us is in a trial, one of us is discouraged, if one of us, you could sit here tonight and take a peek left and right at an empty seat where somebody that you know used to sit. Have we gone after them? 
If someone's discouraged, have we tried to encourage them? Because what we do is we sit back in our chairs and we say, well, I don't know what's going on, but something doesn't seem right. Let's blame somebody. Let's blame Pastor John. Let's blame something about the leadership. Let's blame each other for forgetting Calvary. Because we have responsibility to each other. That's the problem. The problem is we can live our lives around a lot of things that, and reasons and all these ideas and forget what it means to, hey, I love you. And I'll do whatever it takes to help you. Because you're my brother. Or you're my fellow man. You're my neighbor. Because if we were to be like that with each other, relationships grow. It's the simplest thing, going out and caring for somebody. Folks, I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying we can do better. I'm not saying that this is something that, that we, have to, we have to make a drastic change in. I'm saying that if we're not loving, we do need to make a drastic change. We have to look back at Calvary and say, just because we came from different places, just because we think different, we've all been to the cross. We've all been there. Because church family, listen, and I say this with all of my heart. If we do not have relationships where we love each other, then church becomes a Bible study. It is not a church. Because a church has to function as a body. And body ministry is caring for each other. And if we let that go, we soon just have a Bible study that we attend whenever it's convenient, and then we leave. And if we don't grasp this, if we don't return and look at Calvary and what Jesus did on the cross, and let the love that God put in us live, let it live through you. Don't hold it back. Don't let pride destroy it. Let it live. Take somebody that you haven't talked to or anything, just love that person. You know why? Because it is scriptural. Turn to 1 John in chapter 4. I believe that when we lose sight of what Jesus did, if we lose sight of the cross, then we become religious people. We're just religious because all we're doing is adding do's and don'ts to a heart that we've covered up. We haven't let God's love live, live through us. We become bound. After 30 years, we can be bound. We lose our joy. When we come in here and we do not have a desire to praise the Lord, the song leader's got to drag us into worship. It's a patty cake. It's a little like daddy's a little patty cake. Then we've lost sight of Calvary. There's no other way, folks. We've lost sight of our love for God and our love for each other. We can't come in and hear these songs and it not affect us. If we did, we have to call it what it is, and that is forgetfulness. We've lost sight of it. Because, listen... You're not going to hell for patty cake. But Jesus died for much more 
than for us to go through life on and off again with a spirit of heaviness. That's not what he delivered us to do. We can come in here and we can praise God like he designed for it to be that first day. 1 John 4 and verse 9 says, In this the love of God was manifested towards us, that he sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we may live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no love, and there is no fear in love, but perfect love, which that word means developed or mature. Perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him. That he who loves God must love his brother. And that word hates, in verse 20, there's a footnote that says, usually implies ill will in words and conduct, a persecuting spirit. Because the devil wants to divide. The devil wants to bury that love that God put in our heart. He does not want that to live through us. Because when it does, it begins to affect people. It makes people want to... to to talk about spiritual things with you. They want to come to you whenever there's a time that, that they are in a, in a trial. They come to you for encouragement. They begin to recognize that there's something different. And the devil doesn't want that to happen. He doesn't want us to live with that love coming through us. So whenever we stand or we, we come to a church that for 30 years a man says, don't believe it because I said it. Believe it because the Word says it. That still has to be our foundation. It has to be right there. It's not about anybody, what any man says. Me, any, obviously not. Anybody that fills a pulpit. But if 1 John 4 speaks to us about loving our brother, then we have it to contend with as Christians. But what I never understood about this, I thought, man, I see it. I've got to somehow love my brother. But it's not something you create. It's something that was already in your heart. You just have to let that come through your heart. God puts love in your heart. He abides in us, in us in him. See, I believe because I grew up here, 
I believe that I am talking to a room full of people that have God's love in their heart. Truly born again people. People that love God and love each other. I just feel like at times some of us have forgotten that. We've forgotten to let that go flow through us. Loving somebody is a choice. But you can't create it. It's in your heart or it's not. So when we remember back long ago how it was back in the day, I listened to a tape, a cassette tape. I have an old cassette tape recorder by my bed there, and I'll every now and then listen to a tape. Most days I probably don't get five minutes in and fall asleep, but um, I put a praise tape in. I didn't tell Daisy what it was or anything. She wasn't in the room and turned it on, and it, it sounded like a bunch of wild Indians. It was just the most excited, joyful praise you have ever heard. Daisy came in. She said, what is that? It was that different. And she said, man, I like that. And I said, I do too. She said, what is it? And on the tape it said, SCA 1992. And I thought, it's not that we're doing things wrong in our praise and worship, in worshiping God. It's just that I want us to consider, can we let that early, the early good old days, beginnings when the love for God and love for each other dominated our life, could we return and have a heart like that? Because I said something to mom about it, and she said, well, there was a lot of things that I wouldn't want to go back to 1992. Uh, she said, but the fact that people had a lot of joy. And I'll tell you again, and I'm going to say this from now on. It wasn't 1992, and it wasn't Clay Street. It was a condition of our heart, and you still have it. There ain't a single one of you that have lost it. I believe this church has the potential to be the most joyful loving love not only for God but for each other and for those that are lost because let me tell you all it takes is a revelation once again and you like a bird out of a cage you get set free and it's exciting and it's something that you look forward to you say when are you talking about like once a no every morning you look forward to it and then when you come in and you see somebody else that's also born again, what do you do? Man, brother. Because in a short amount of time, we're going to join the chorus. We're going to go with Pastor Hernandez. Because the Bible says, a chorus like the sound of thundering rivers. The saints raising their voices in heaven. And you ever think about when one dies... And he's given a new body. And like, like it said in, in Revelations where he wipes away all the tears, all things become new. What would it be like for you and I to join the chorus? What do you come up and you hear? What's going on? Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty gathered around the throne. The marriage supper of the Lamb. 
Folks, we're all going there. There's no doubt. Our names are in the book of life because of Calvary. We have that. And while we're on this earth, we have the privilege to live with God's love living through us. And we can live every day loving God and thanking Him, not letting ourselves forget what He's done for us. Not let Him forget it. And then when we run into each other, brother, we're still here, but one day, you know what? We're going to join the chorus because we're Christians. We're born again. I'd much rather live my life this way and come into a congregation, a church family that loves each other with excitement about the Lord and excitement about eternity than I would to come in and sit on one side, one on the other, and, and have a, this, you know, this gloomy, somber way about us. I'm not saying there's not serious times, but it's not serious all the time. We can't live crawling in the dust every day. We can't. He set, Jesus died so that we could be set free. He died so we can have joy. We can have joy in our hearts and say, I don't know what this world is going to bring today, but I know where I'm going at the end of this life. What can we do? What can there be in our life that is bigger than what Jesus has done on the cross? What is there that could be? We are on our way to heaven. We're heaven bound as a bunch of believers, and we're gathering in here to sing about it. We're gathering here to hear Pastor John tell about it. And we come in here to do these things. We have got to remember Calvary. Because if we go through our life and we forget it, then it can eat up all these years. And don't you think the devil's not laughing? Don't you think he's not laughing? That church scared me. But I tell you what, I had to be creative. I had to be creative about how to do this. But if I could just get them to where they didn't remember Calvary, then I've got them. Because I'm going to tell you, every single human being that has the revelation of God's love and what he did on Calvary is set free. And every single human being that forgets it or has not seen it, he is bound because he runs around this life and he's thinking of all the ways and the angles and how he's going to have to try to do this and that. And I don't know if I'm going to make it. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen. Just stop and go back to the cross and read these scriptures because as truth, the most anointed, inspired words that mankind ever speaks is when he reads the Word of God. That is all that is truth. Read it. And when you read it, then go down the road and think about it. Tell the Lord about it. I thank you for saving me. Bring me back. Because He will. And when your heart is returned to that heart that when you first got up off your knees and the love of God was so strong, your love for God, your love for each other, when that happens, your life will change. Your church life, your family life, your work life, everything will change. Because you think in, the, in light of the worst things, well, that's not very big because I'm going to heaven. And then whenever you see somebody, you witness the change. I know you will.
You will witness it when you come in these doors, when you run into a brother, when you're driving down the road, and you see somebody walking down the road that is obviously the devil has had control of their life. You say, Lord, have mercy. I don't know how many times this has happened lately. Well, I see somebody, God have mercy on this person. Your heart just expresses it. It just comes out. You love that person. And when a person comes by and says, man, I'm just struggling, you say, okay, everything stops because my brother who I love is struggling. What is it, brother? What does the Word say about it? I'm with you in this. It, you don't know how much it means when a person says, well, you know what, we're in this together, and no matter how long it takes, I'm going to stay with you. And if they say, I just don't believe, I, I just can't believe for this like I used to, okay, do whatever you believe you have to do, but I'm going with you because you're my brother and love that person. And whenever we begin to have a life of loving God and loving each other, folks, could that be what it means to truly be a Christian? To live with that. Because I'm going to tell you, that is, for me, that is the foundation. The foundation is the love of God. Because then you can begin to add knowledge and teaching to that, but you can never lose sight of it. Because if you add all of the other things that God has blessed us with, the Holy Spirit, deeper knowledge, being able to, to hear a word that is anointed, a teaching message, you know what makes really valuable the years? Really valuable is that you can have a revelation in a moment and have your eyes open. And you can be set free from any bondage. But teaching takes time. And we've been taught. We have been taught. The years of teaching, the years of labor in the pulpit, all those things, we've had that. We have that. If you were to go to a group of people that only had salvation preached you know what they do not lose sight of it and when somebody who is searching goes in those doors they find what they're looking for because they find people that love God and love each other but folks we have to be careful it doesn't come at a cost because we cannot devalue the teaching ministry because we are to be made disciples we have to be able to be taught, and it takes a long time to do that. But if we can take teaching and let love th live through us, then I believe we have become a complete Christian and disciple useful to the Lord. I am way, way off of what I was going to read here to you. So um, turn to, um, to John. I want to, I want to look at John 13, because when we read at 1 John 4 at the end, it said, this commandment, we have, this commandment we have heard from him, that he who loves God must love his brother. So when we...
Turn over to John 13. I want to read what Jesus told us. One of the last things that he said to his disciples. Now you think about he's getting ready to leave this earth shortly. And of all the things he may want to tell his disciples that he has spent three years teaching. Three years. And now all of a sudden he's leaving them. And listen what he commands them. In verse, uh, in John 13 and verse 34, it says, Jesus said, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you should also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Because myself and in my mindset of growing up in the church, I didn't know that that made me a disciple. Turn over to Romans 13. Romans 13, verse 9, it says, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. If there is any other commandment, all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Folks, we cannot, we cannot devalue not a single bit the teaching that we've received. It is a gift that the Lord has given us. It is something that is preparing us to be able to please Him and do the work of ministry. But we cannot forget, as it says, all these things summed up, love your neighbor as yourself. Turn over to Galatians 5. In verse 13 it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I think it's becoming more and more important for us to have convictions to be able to define what we believe. Because you can talk to people and they'll say, well, it's, it's for everybody to interpret for themselves. But there is truth and we must base our convictions and decisions on the Word of God, no matter what. But boundaries, I do not believe were ever meant to be fences. I don't believe we were ever to have a conviction that another brother doesn't and we build a fence. Because if a boundary is what it is, a clear marker saying, this is where I draw the line, then that does not mean that you can't be a light to a brother who maybe hasn't had his eyes open to see that. We have to be able to have that patience. We have to be able to love. If you love your brother and he doesn't do something exactly like you do, you're not going to build a fence with no gate. 
if you all know what that means. In the farming world, if you have a neighbor that doesn't like you, there's a fence built and he doesn't put a gate. He doesn't intend to ever be over there and doesn't intend for you to ever come to his place. No gate. We can't be the church with fences and no gates. We have to be able to reach out and love a brother. We have to have, after all this time, be able to have that spiritual maturity to reach out and explain why in a loving way so that perhaps if we believe we have a light, perhaps our brother can see it. Because if somebody had not done that for us, where would we be? If the people that had been an influence in our life, if they had built a fence with no gates, where would we be? I just want us to be sensitive to that because we'll forever have that. A church has all different levels of maturities. But the importance of loving each other. I've got to go quickly through this. A very familiar passage. I want us to read it in 1 Corinthians. In verse 13. Or chapter 13. Because I want us to think about all the years and all the teaching and all the convictions. All the places we've come since that first day. Verse 1 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. Is not provoked. It thinks no evil does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there are tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect has come, then that which is part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror, dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Just let the word speak to you. I want to caution us tonight. There's a scripture, I've read it a dozen times, and it really makes me sober. Because I think about my own 40 years. 
and the opportunities I've had to make this right. It's in Revelations. Very familiar, but I want us to listen to it. In Revelations 2. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those that say they're apostles and are not, and you have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Folks, that moves my heart to read those words. Although I've read them many times in my life, God has a way of taking Scripture and saying, hey, this is for you today. Because when I think about to remember from where I've fallen, repent and do the first works, what are the first works? What is our first love? That's not anything before salvation. That was at Calvary. That was our Calvary moment. That was when we were born again. He said, repent and do the first works. What is our first love? Our first love is for God and for each other. That's God's love. He stamped that on our hearts. We have that motivation within us from long ago when he opened our eyes and gave us that revelation. If we need to repent and return and do the first works, then so be it. Because the alternative is to stumble in the darkness bound. If the shoe fits, we have to wear it. I have to wear it. And I say that from the bottom of my heart. If there is anybody else here, so be it. If not, it's just for me. But if I have to repent and do the first works and not forget my first love, and that is when I got off my knees to love God with all of my heart and to love my neighbor, you, as myself. I want us to think about those things. But I want to tell you that God is drawing, I believe, the hearts of men back to that first love. I believe that. And I believe that the condition of the heart that made what we considered to be the good old days, joy, there was excitement in our worship, in our commitment, in our fellowship. If we had a church picnic, everybody came because of the love for each other. I hope that God is making this
clear in your, in your understanding tonight that this is something that we already, we still have. We haven't lost it. We have just buried it. We've buried it under a lot of different situations and things and feelings. And I believe there's a call back to Calvary to remember Calvary. I want us to read an encouraging scripture in Romans 8. I believe that the revel a revelation of the cross afresh. My favorite song, and it's just become this way the last few months, is the one that Jay sung several times. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the price you paid. Bearing my sin and shame. What a song. Didn't mean anything before. But I tell you what a revelation will do. It will cure. A revelation of God's love will cure any issue about worship. We don't have to preach about worshiping. Don't have to preach about witnessing because in your heart, you love that person. You don't have to do those things. You don't have to preach about gossiping. If your, if your child did something, you wouldn't go tell everybody in a way that made them look bad. Why? Because you love them. If you gossip about somebody in a way that's tearing them down, you have forgotten Calvary. Your love, you've lost your love for each other. Plain and simple, folks, you don't do, you don't do those things to someone that you love. We will never, never be what God has designed for us to be as a group of people unless we remember his love. His love for us, our love to him, and our love for each other. It'll cure relationships. It'll cure fellowship. It'll cure our commitment. It'll cure it. If we spend as much time trying to point the blame as we did seeking the Lord for a revelation of God's love, folks, it's not going to matter who the pastor is if we don't remember Calvary because we're not going to have a church to go to anyhow. This process will fragment if we just become religious. We have to remember God's love. The problem is forgetfulness. But God is merciful, ready to pardon. And I tell you what, it's in you. It's in me. It's in every one of us. All we have to do is uncover it and then make the choice to act on it, to begin to love each other and to love God. And like I said, if this applies to nobody but me, thank you for letting me do this tonight. In Romans 8, talking about the love of God, in verse 38 says, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present today, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, 
or any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And turn over to one last scripture in Ephesians 3. This is one of the most marvelous scriptures. I read this and I thought, I can't. It, it's amazing. Listen to these words. Think about our lives. In Ephesians 3 and 16 says, That he, God, would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you may be rooted and grounded in what? In love. May be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever and all the people said. Amen. To remember Calvary. Thank you for your time tonight. I'm glad to be able to stand here and read scripture. To God be the glory. And I pray that he continues to give revelation of the things we need through his word. Let God be true.